Genesis chapter 30. By the way, and a special congratulations to those of you who are graduating, uh, high schoolers and collegiates as well. Uh, and by the way, I hope you don't get one of those uh, Bible promises uh, book for graduates. Uh, that's where you take like 300 and you know, 50 uh, verses ripped out of their context. And anyway, that's not very nice because some of you probably bought that for somebody. But at any rate, uh, I mean, I get it. I mean, my wife has one of these calendars that she flips. It's on the vanity in our bathroom. Some of you have. And, there, and I have walked by, looked at some of those verses, been blessed by them. Uh, in fact, just the other day I walked by as she was flipping and I said, is it a good one? And she goes, it's scripture, honey. And I, I didn't mean anything by it, but uh, 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 this is a good one too, isn't it? Do you like this one here? May the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. Do you like that one from uh, Genesis 31, verse 49? I think we'll put it up there here in a second. Uh, anyway, so that, 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 again, may the Lord keep watch between you and me while we're away from you. Isn't that a cool verse? I mean, that's a Pinterest verse, if there ever was one, right? Instagram. Uh, except that uh, there's only one problem, the word watch in that, uh, in that uh, verse. And you can see some, uh, we have some Pinterest and Instagram uh, shots to show you. I mean, you've seen it. I've seen them on coffee cups. Right. The problem with that verse ripped out of its context is that verse really, it would be more in keeping with the nuns who used to say, I'm keeping my eye on you when I was growing up. But we'll come back to that. I'm reminded, even as I think about it, I'm reminded of, uh, of some, uh, uh, a friend of mine who once said that some of his greatest uh, uh, ideas were ruined by study. <laughs> uh, you'll see what I mean when we come back to it. But we're in Genesis 30, faith of our fathers, studying the trifecta of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. We've been in Jacob's life for some time because the scripture spends a lot of time on this guy's life. Uh, and so here he is. He's been on the run. He's now been serving for 14 years. His uh, father-in-law, his dubious, unscrupulous uh, father-in-law, Laban, he, he hates it, yet he loves it because he's become filthy rich in the process. But he's really a man out of place. The psalmist said, how shall we sing the Lord's songs in a foreign land? Have you ever read that? It's hard to sing God's songs when you're out of place, when you're not where you belong. It's impossible to be joyful when you're not where God wants you to be and you know it. Now, Jacob was not a captive anymore where we left off in verse 25 of chapter 30. He's not, a, he's not a captive anymore. He'd served his sentence, so to speak, and now he's free to go. On the other hand, 14 years is a long time. It's time to settle. It's time to raise kids. It's uh, time to get real uh, used to your culture, that is, and the environment you're around. You can kind of get settled there. And now, in his bitterness, Jacob wanted out, but in his wealth and his proven abilities that had made him so unbelievably wealthy and his, you know, his scheming father-in-law, all those were temptations for him to stay. And here's the result, chapter 30, verse 25, 
As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I found favor in your sight, I I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Again, Jacob is not where he needs to be. So he's listening to his father-in-law and he agrees. He now volunteers to stay, to stay for six more years. And so he becomes Laban's head herdsman. And the verses that complete chapter 30 are really strange because, it, in fact, really strange. Somehow Jacob manipulates the breeding activity with Laban's flock, producing for his own self a mighty, very healthy flock uh, using a technique that to this day nobody understands. So believe me, go ahead and read and study it on you. If you come up with something, let me know because nobody knows how this happened. In fact, and it's, there's, there's, I don't even know if there's any science to it because in chapter 31 and verses 8 and 9 when, when Jacob gets his wives, Rachel and Leah, and they're getting ready to split and go back home, he explains to them in essence that this was totally a God thing that all this happened. At the end of the day, though, it tells us that the very last verse of the chapter, chapter 30, verse 43, Jacob, in this way, grew exceedingly prosperous. At heart, he's still a deceiver. Uh, he, he's still sort of manipulative, but he's changing. He's trajectorying in the right direction, finally. He isn't broken yet. When we come back together next week, we'll see him get broken. But staying where God does not want you to stay carry risks, carries risk. And you may be where you want to stay. You're prospering. You're doing, you might even be serving Jesus. But somewhere in your heart of hearts, you know you should be somewhere else. That's a risky place to be. So risky, in fact, for Jacob that when it does t- come time for him to leave in chapter 31, uh, his wife, Rachel... When, remember, she's been married to her for 20 years. She steals her father's household idols. Those would be little, basically, handheld idols. And she steals them from her father, sort of, sort of hedging her bets, so to speak, just in case there might be something to this. I think some of us do the same thing. We're not unlike the inventor of the slinky. Remember the slinky? The inventor of the slinky became an overnight millionaire. In fact, but because... He learned that money didn't buy him happiness. He became disillusioned. He became depressed. He became suicidal. And then he heard the gospel, and he got saved. And he gave all of his money to charitable causes and entered the mission field and went to South America, the inventor of the slinky, and still didn't have joy. You want to know why? Because he kept the patent to the slinky just in case. It didn't all work out. And the next thing you know, he found himself on the edge of the ocean, confessing that hedging of bets, not trusting the Lord to God, and chucked the patent into the ocean. Some of you may be doing the same thing here. At any rate, suffice it to say, Jacob has had minimal influence on the spiritual life of Rachel, having been stuck there now for, for 20 years. And it's, but it's time to go back home. Having agreed to seven years to serve his father-in-law has now become 20. 
There are threats in the air. Laban's servants are threatening Jacob and company. And God basically says in chapter 31, verse 3, it's time to go home. Here's what he says. The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So now it's time to go back home. The 400-year trek that's kept him there for 20 years is now about to be closed by way of gap. He, he, he packs up his wives. He packs up his kids. He packs up his enormous wealth of livestock and takes off without telling Laban. Laban, when he finds out, goes in hot pursuit with, with nefarious intentions, no doubt, He's ready to come down and put the wood down on his son-in-law. But God intervenes in verses 24 and 29. Laban testifies of this. God intervenes in a dream and basically says to Laban, don't do what you're thinking. So by the time Laban meets up with his son-in-law, we'll just say about halfway there. We don't know if it was where it was exactly. But he catches up with him. He has a complete meltdown. And even confesses, it would be worse if God hadn't intervened and said something to me in a, in a dream. And Rachel nearly gets busted because she has stolen those household idols and she's put them in the saddle uh, of the camel that she's sitting on. And her, her father is having this, you know, is having this conniption in front of, of Jacob who's denying that he's stolen his idols and Rachel says, you know, uh, you know, he's checking everything. Rachel says, I can't get down because I'm having my monthly you-know-what. And go ahead, you'll have to explain that to your kids. But this is the irony of all of this. This would not have been lost to a Jewish reader. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. A woman on her menstrual cycle is unclean. Anything she touches is unclean. She's sitting on her father's idols. Her idols, his idols are unclean. It doesn't really matter because he doesn't find them anyway. Poor guy has to go home and make new idols. It's all ironic and just fun to look at what a mockery God makes of false gods. Anyway, the meltdown continues, and uh, he, he sort of concludes this in verse 43. We've got that for you there, where he says in, in verse 43, he says to, to, that is Laban, says to Jacob, he answered and said, Jacob, the daughters, these are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. What can I do this day for these my daughters? He's messed with them too, by the way. Or for their children and, uh, whom they've born. Come, you know, so this is, as one writer puts it, empty words from a hollow man. So what he says is, let's make a deal. Verse 44. Come now, he says to Jacob. Let's make a covenant. You and I. And let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone, set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and, they, and uh, they ate there by the heap. This is what they did when they struck deals. Laban called the heath in Aramaic, uh, Jager Shahadultha, but Jacob called it Galid. One's Hebrew, one's Aramaic. They both mean the same thing, basically, heap of witness. 
Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid. So there's your context. There's your context for this verse that's used incessantly out of context. And uh, by the way, Mizpah means uh, watch post there. Here's the verse again out of context. Verse 49. Let's look at it again. Here it is. May the Lord keep watch between you and me when we're away from each other. It just sounds so nice, doesn't it? This verse has been found on encouragement cards, wedding bands. Even an organization was written after this verse. Even, there's even an old hymn written to encourage us after this. Look, I found it. Here's the old hymn. There it is, Mizpah, with that verse. This is pure ignorance is what it is. Pure ignorance. You want to know why? Just read the very next verse, verse 50. Look at what it says. He says, if you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is, is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. So does that, does that sound like when he says, may the Lord watch between you and me while we're, does that sound like an encouraging word? Uh, no. It reminds me of when, uh, when I, I was, a, as many of you know, I was a widower, my wife was a widow, and a widow much longer than I was a widower. So when I married into her family, uh, her uncle on her first husband's side comes up to me. He's a godly man. He put his arm around me on the day we got married. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm a happy guy. That I'm married again, you know. He puts his arm around me. He goes, Pat, I'm so happy for you. Yeah, thanks. And I, you know, I love Marilyn. Yeah, I know you do. You screw up and hurt her, I'll kill you. <laughs> and he meant it. That's the idea in this verse. That's the idea. I mean, if you think about it, Laban and Jacob didn't even like each other, much less trust one another. The idea is I'm going to keep my eye on you, you keep your eye on me. It wasn't encouraging. But here's the deal. Like many of us, Jacob was a spiritual schizophrenic. But he was moving in the right direction. The trajectory was going in the right direction. And the passage here tells us that. I love what Kent Hughes said. God works amidst the compost of human sin. How true is that? To do his will. I want to back up the train and look at verses 45 and 46. I want you to look at it because I've underlined a couple things for you. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. See, he took a stone and Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones, and they took stones, plural, and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. This, is, this was the making of a covenant. This is how people would make covenants. They would pile up stones. The stones, of, the stones of witness here were meant to, be, to represent their deity. Jacob raises one standing stone. The, the relatives, his kinsmen, gather up many stones representative of their polytheistic faith of worshiping many gods. Jacob, by raising up one stone in front of them, was saying, I am leaving the idols of my past, and I am worshiping the one true God. Which, by the way, is exactly what everybody who gets baptized is publicly saying to you. As Dylan and Lindsay said to you, 
And just before that in the first service, Dennis and Hannah, wonderful testimonies all. They were saying, by publicly professing before you my faith in Jesus, I'm raising my standing stone. I'm walking away from my idols. Just like Paul said to the Thessalonians when he praised the Lord that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Is that your testimony? Or are you still hanging on to those idols? Are you still sitting on some idols that you're cherishing? Because if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. Did you know that? And he won't hear you either. Some of you know Jesus, but you've never taken your stand for Jesus as the one true living God whom you worship and you serve. You want Jesus and maybe a few idols to hedge your bets. Let me tell you something. That's not a place you want to be. It's a place you need to leave. It's a place where you may have prosperity and all kinds of riches, but you will never have joy because you're not where you belong. There is greater joy when you raise that one standing stone and he is Jesus Christ, the rock. Amen? If you've never trusted him as your savior ever, then do so today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he died for your sins. Believe that he rose again. Trust him as your Lord and savior from your heart and you'll be saved. And those of you who have, You've entered into a new relationship with the living God. It's time to leave the place of idols and raise your one standing stone. As Jacob professed his monotheistic faith in the one true God, so must we. Can I get an amen? God, thank you for your word, for the story of Jacob, and even in this abbreviated version of this passage, I pray that our hearts might be stirred by your spirit. We might worship you, Lord, as our one true God. Forsake the idols that don't just tie us down, but they rob us of joy. And we recognize today, Lord, that we're a lot more like Jacob than we are like some of the greater patriarchs are men who've gone before us who didn't struggle as much. Free us from these things and may we stand true for you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What a great song to conclude on. Let me ask you. Are you in a place you shouldn't be? Far from home? Jacob was. It was time for him to leave the place of idolatry and go home. Some of you are sitting on idols like Rachel, and it's time to get rid of those idols. You know it. There's no joy in your life right now. doesn't matter how prosperous you get. If you don't have joy, it's not worth it. So come back home where you belong. That's Jacob's still making his way there. He has one more... <laughs> Uh, he has one more collision coming his way that uh, we'll take on next week, and I hope you'll be there for that.